When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is fantasy analyst from PFM, Jason Katz, better known as Katz. It is April 6th, a little after 3 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, today, Katz and I are going to spend about 20, 25 minutes uh, chatting about a few players with wide variances of value. There's probably more eloquent ways of saying that, but the idea is that every season throughout the offseason, and even during the season, there are guys who could go any number of ways. I referred to them in a recent podcast as chaos fantasy players. Um, uh, There is a good chance that they could be much better than expected. There's a good chance they could be much worse than expected. It all depends on how you look at them, and it depends on variables that we just can't quantify at this early stage. So we're going to talk about three players today, all running backs, all fairly high profile, all could be in a perfect world uh, RB1s, and some of them will be ranked that way going into the season. Others, very realistically, or these same guys, very realistically could be outside the RB3 range by the end of the season. Uh, That is how much chaos goes into these three players, and we're going to try to talk through essentially uh, what does it take for them to be as good as we think they can be, and what might happen to make them uh, much worse uh, than we hope they will be, because of course we always root for these players, don't we, Cats? We're going to start off with uh, J.K. Dobbins, and uh, we just don't know what to expect from Dobbins after a year off from serious injury. And now coming back with Gus Edwards, and perhaps the Ravens will add someone in the draft, which is always a little bit messy if you are a Dobbins or Edwards dynasty manager, rostering one or both of them. Uh, Katz, I'll throw it to you first. What are your first thoughts about Dobbins? We're still four months away from most people really starting the draft process, although some are drafting earlier than that and much earlier than that. What do we think about Dobbins as a weekly fantasy asset even a must start in a perfect scenario i remember going through like a gamut of emotions as it came to jk dobbins over his two-year career as a rookie i was high on him as a player but i I was pretty confident he wasn't going to see any work with the ravens in in 2019 it just wasn't going to happen at least till later in the season then we got a chance to see what he can do and he played well and i'm like okay 2021, I'm in on this guy. I'm going to take him like early second round. And as we got deeper into draft season or deeper into the summer of 2021, kind of backed off a bit. And I was like, well, he's not really going to catch any passes. Yes, he had a 7.6% college target share. But with a, in a Lamar Jackson offense, we just don't see running backs typically 
catch a lot of passes. And, and that happened again last season while Dobbins wasn't there. So I backed off on Dobbins a bit. And then, unfortunately, obviously, he tore his ACL out for the season. So now heading into 2022, we have a player that is likely going to get a bit of an injury discount. So he's not going to cost in drafts in 2022 as much as he would have cost last season, which could present the value, but there's also risk on both sides of it because coming off the injury, likely splitting a backfield with Gus Edwards, who's also coming off a torn ACL, there's just so many variables at play here in terms of the usage and what the offense will look like. Because last season, the Ravens had to throw a lot more than they typically do. Uh, I know Lamar Jackson, he only played 12 games, but he attempted 382 passes. That was more than he attempted in 15 games in 2020. So I, I'm at this point, it's still very early in the process. We'll see how things go. We'll see how Dobbins' knee progresses over the summer. I'm cautiously optimistic on Dobbins, but I think we're getting a a – two down back that's not really going to catch any passes and that might share goal line work or maybe maybe he loses it to Gus Edwards we're just not sure yet how things are going to play out so right now I think we need to proceed with caution as it pertains to J.K. Dobbins yeah I'm I'm with you the Ravens are kind of a chaos team in a sense they they, their defense was as bad as it's been in half a generation if not longer Um, and to your point uh, that was one of the reasons why the Ravens were throwing deep into games and then you had Mark Andrews as a fearsome um, uh, red zone target and obviously uh, the number one fantasy tight end. Um, we could see some regression from, from Andrews. I mean, that's almost to be expected. It's hard for him to replicate what he did, especially when you look at the number of 30-plus fantasy point outputs he had. I think he had three. I think he had actually 100-plus yards and at least a touchdown in, uh, uh, in multiple games such that it was three different quarterbacks got him 100-plus yards and a touchdown in a game. I mean, it's, when was the last time that happened, if ever? Um, and then, you know, the, the uh, uh, elevation of uh, uh, Bateman, uh, Marquise Brown still around, um, and actually pretty undervalued, potentially. Uh, I think going into last season, he was maybe uh, WR45 or something like that. I, I'm trying to remember, but he was not highly touted going into the last season, there were some who thought that uh, maybe Sammy Watkins could step up uh, and fill a, a co-lead role um, while Bateman was getting acclimated. The point is there's a lot of messiness in this offense right now. And uh, you're exactly right. I think, you know, Devontae Freeman got a lot of targets last year because they were playing from behind. I think the perfect scenario for Dobbins is that he is the lead back, 225 touches, and he's used in a Devontae Freeman kind of way, but as a more talented version of Devontae Freeman, where we could see him crack the top 16. I think that is very, very possible if they commit to him. The downside is that it becomes a hot hand situation. He and Gus Edwards are rotating in and out. And near the goal line, it's mostly Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews and maybe, you know, uh, Devin DuVernay or someone like that. Um, that's where it really gets tricky. You could see a scenario where Dobbins is a, thousand yard four touchdown running back and that's not going to help many people unless you're drafting him in the fifth or sixth round and he's probably not going to go in the fifth or sixth round he's not going to be under mike davis um he's going to probably go in the third fourth round if not earlier depending on how bullish people feel when they draft and what we know about what the ravens backfield looks like when they draft they could add another running back they've there that's been dangled in in news reports uh, that the ravens might not be content uh, with two guys coming off serious injuries, uh, leading their backfield. They might grab uh, a decent rookie uh, 
to fill in there. And so um, people going into, uh, if you're in Dynasty, um, Dobbins actually could be a good sell high if you find someone who thinks that Dobbins will be the lead back, no questions asked. Because I think, Katz, you and I would agree, we're not so sure that's going to happen. Um, uh, any final thoughts on Dobbins before we move on to the next guy? Yeah, I, I think that what fantasy managers are chasing is 2019 Mark Ingram. When he came into the Ravens, operated as their lead back, rushed for 1,000 yards, and finished uh, as the RB10 in fantasy points per game, averaging 15.9 PPR fantasy points per game. That, to me, feels like Dobbins' ceiling. But one thing we need to note about Ingram's 2019, he scored 15 touchdowns. And and more importantly, about those 15 touchdowns, if I'm pulling this up right now, he scored five of them through the air. Five receiving touchdowns for a guy that only had 29 targets. And that's just an absurdly efficient rate. And there's no way we can project that to happen with any running back, let alone somebody in a Ravens offense that's that doesn't throw the ball as much as your typical NFL offense. So my concern with Dobbins is if his ceiling is low in RB1, if everything breaks right, and he's being drafted as probably a high RB2, he's, he, might, he might be being drafted close to his ceiling. And you brought up a very good point about selling him in Dynasty. Everything comes down to perception and value. Any player is a sell high if somebody's valuing him higher than you think he's worth. If that happens in your league, then yet go ahead and sell Dobbins, even though he's only 20, 23 years old. Because if you get more than what he's worth, it, don't concern yourself with trading away a young player. You're getting better value in return. At the same time, if somebody's very concerned about Dobbins and thinks that he's not going to be uh, of, of much value this season, and he's going to be maybe a low RB2 touchdown dependent, and you can get him for cheap, that's a good move as well. It, it all comes down to value, as does, as does anything in fantasy football. And and uh, and following up on that, uh, buy and sell uh, on the news. Um, don't wait until the dust has settled. Uh, I remember uh, trading away Ben Roethlisberger when he got hurt about five six years ago. Um, no, I traded. Excuse me, Antonio Brown five or six years ago, about fifteen minutes after Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. And my opponent knew that Ben Roethlisberger had gotten hurt, but we just didn't know the severity. And I did the math and I figured, you know what, if he's just out for a game, Antonio Brown's going to struggle for that game. But if he's out for the rest of the season, I have a pretty worthless WR3-4 in Antonio Brown with whoever is going to throw to him, Landry Jones or whoever. So, you know, you, you, you roll the dice, you hedge where you need to. But if Dobbins is not a guy who's going to carry you to a title, if you're wondering whether you can trust Dobbins in the fantasy playoffs as an automatic start, then that's a sign that you need to find a buyer for someone like that. Or similarly, if you think Dobbins is actually going to be a good streamer where the market says um, he's too risky to even be a streamer, that's where you buy. Um, uh, shifting now to another guy uh, who we have not seen on an NFL field, Travis Etienne. Uh, he was supposed to challenge James Robinson for backfield uh, dominance uh, last year, didn't get the chance. Uh, he will be back this year with a uh, partially remade uh, Jaguars offense. It is hard to know uh, whether uh, the Jaguars can legally start um, all of the players that they have acquired this offseason or held on to uh, in, in one play. Uh, it seems like there's going to be talent on the bench for a team that uh, couldn't have been much worse last year, which is always dangerous. You want to consolidate talent 
if you're the Jaguars, not spread it out. And I have my doubts about Christian Kirk. We'll get to that another time, Cats. But Travis Etienne, it seems like they have an embarrassment of riches right now in the backfield, although James Robinson is coming off his own injury. Um, they have uh, two running backs who uh, individually uh, could be RB1s in the right scenario. They're going to be playing together. How bullish are you or how concerned are you about Etienne? Let's start with an overall view of the Jaguars, especially when it comes to the running back position. There are so many moving parts right now from Etienne's injury himself, James Robinson's injury, the role both of those guys are going to play in this backfield if they're both healthy, if they'll both be healthy, whether Trevor Lawrence takes a step forward, what the new offense looks like under Doug Peterson, how much damage Urban Meyer did to this team last year. I just want to just want to throw in there right now that Urban Meyer is the stone worst coach to ever set foot on an NFL field. What he did is just inexcusable. And it, maybe it was a blessing in disguise that Travis Etienne did not have to suffer through the 2021 season with the Jaguars. But enough about Urban Meyer. This season, Travis Etienne. I'll start by saying I'm more bullish than not because I like the player. Okay, this is this is a it's 5'10", 215 pounds. He is built for a three-down role if the team is willing to give him that. He, his uh, target share in college increased every year, all four of his years at Clemson, where he also played with Trevor Lawrence. So you have that, that shower narrative working, working uh, out there, partially possibly why the Jaguars drafted Etienne. And we, we've seen a r- running backs in this offense excel. James Robinson was, uh, in 2020, James Robinson finished in the top five. He averaged 17.9 PPR fantasy points per game. Travis Etienne, in my humble opinion, is more talented than James Robinson. If he can get that same level of work, which, again, I highly doubt, because Robinson actually, I think he led all running backs in snap share that season. But even if he gets, I don't know, maybe 80 to 90% of that type of work, or, or, or even less, he could be an RB1. Now, the question is, what role will James Robinson play if he's able to return from his torn Achilles? And that's something that, that we need to figure out in terms of how the Jaguars might use both of them. James Robinson, unfortunately, is an undrafted free agent. I know that he has two years of NFL production on his resume, but as we've seen with guys like Philip Lindsay, who put a back-to-back 1,000-yard season to start his career, it just it doesn't matter when there's a guy who's a higher round draft pick and Etienne went in the first round. I think he's going to get a chance to play over Robinson. He's going to be there in July, in August, while Robinson is rehabbing. Etienne says that he'll, he'll be there for, uh, for training camp. Doug Peterson said he'll be there for OTAs. So I'm thinking Etienne gets the first shot at taking over this backfield and given the relationship with Trevor Lawrence and how much the team likes him. And he's going to be the guy this year. Are you calling him a top 14 running back? I certainly would not draft him as one, but I think it's well within his range of outcomes. Where do, where would you draft him right now? What what rough average draft position at running back would you put him? 16 to 20 in that range? I do like discussing this a little bit now. I know I said I don't want to talk about ADP, but this is not ADP. I don't know his ADP because it's April and he doesn't really have one. So we can predict right. now where would we draft him without having any outside influence of where we're supposed to draft him. And my right. early thoughts are, I'd be happy to get him in the fourth round. So that, so, and I was thinking the way you were talking, it looked like back end, second, early third round, but you feel like fourth round, like he could be, I'm thinking realistically, if there's a lot of hype around him going into August, he could go in the late second, early third round. I think people are going to uh, get on. I think people have a way of getting on a running back train to your point with, uh, with talent. 
you know, that, that if he's on the field and Robinson is still nursing uh, his rehab, then, then, uh, you know, you could see a scenario where if Etienne is the week one starter, everyone's drafted him like a top 15, top 20 running back. Um, so that's where James Robinson went last year after Etienne broke his foot or with the list Frank injury, Robinson's ADP shot up into that late second, early third round area. So if Robinson's right. not in, it's not in the equation. If he's going to start the season on the pup list, we may very well see Etienne get up to that area, but I just don't think he will because I don't think that the fantasy community will view him as the same three down type back as Robinson was in 2020. Remember part of the reason Robinson ADP shot up that high is because of how heavily he was used in 2020. And once Etienne was gone, they're thinking, okay, maybe he's going to repeat that. Of course, it didn't happen, but that thought helped boost Robinson's ADP. And I don't know if we'll see that with Etienne, especially with him not having played an NFL snap yet and coming off an injury of his own. I think one of the things that hurt Etienne's uh, fantasy value, not that Etienne cares, uh, but for those who have, who rostered in uh, uh, him last year in Dynasty or even earlier in Devi Leagues, or who are thinking about drafting him this year, I think one of the big uh, challenges for him is going to be where does he get his touches? You've kind of alluded to that, Katz. But, you know, the Jaguars have added Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Um, uh, Jones, whatever. Uh, you know, he, he could duplicate what he did uh, towards the end of last year when the Raiders desperately needed another wideout, uh, or he could flop. Um, he's, he's been, uh, underwhelming relatively speaking, uh, uh, you know, compared to where people thought he would be at his career, um, until really last season, towards the end of last season, he stepped up when it mattered most. The arrival of Christian Kirk is kind of a difference maker for me, because I was thinking you could see a scenario where Robinson's in the backfield, Etienne's lining up, uh, in the slot or whatever. And, and you're getting these scenarios where, Etienne is kind of a glorified running back, but really he's more of a quarter L Patterson um, where he's maybe getting six, eight rushing attempts, four to six receptions, and he's kind of doing it all over the field. The problem is that the Jaguars have Christian Kirk, uh, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, uh, LaVisca Chenault, and by the way, Jamal Agnew, uh, who for a while last season was their leading receiver week in and week out. Um, and he's their probably number five or number six receiver. Uh, when the depth chart, you know, first comes out, it, he'll probably be five or six. If he's anywhere higher, then they shouldn't have added Zay Jones because what's the point of adding Zay Jones? Uh, and, and what's the point of keeping Chanel if he's never going to play? Um, so Etienne has kind of a crowded problem. Um, there's an issue of him coming back um, from his injury, but also there's the problem of if Robinson's on the field, how do you give Etienne the targets to make to ensure that his floor as a as a fantasy running back is streamable, uh, because if he doesn't have a streaming floor, if he's not uh, a lesser version of Cordell Patterson in his first year, which is not fair to say, he, Etienne is extraordinarily talented, but the Falcons had nobody. I mean, they Russell Gage was their number one receiver, Kyle Pitts was their you know all world tight end, and then nothing. Mike Davis did not give them a lot uh, except volume, but it wasn't really quality volume. So this is an entirely different situation. Another concern is the Jaguars playing a lot from behind. If that happens again, um, what does that do to the running game? And does Etienne really become more situational at that point, depending on game flow? I do think this is a big win for Trevor Lawrence. I love Trevor Lawrence as a potential top 14 quarterback. I'll probably put my stamp on that as we get closer to uh, July and August. I'm going to have to 
roll the dice on on some measurement of Trevor Lawrence, but I think that Trevor Lawrence, you know, th- this is more of a victory for Lawrence and those who are drafting Lawrence because he has so many weapons and he will only do better than last year, which he can't do much worse. But this guy was a number one overall pick for a reason, not just because of his connection to Urban Meyer. And uh, uh, Lawrence uh, should thrive. And the problem for those drafting Etienne is we just don't know how he's going to thrive week to week. And um, the added uh, part about Lawrence as a rookie. Now, again, different offense, different circumstances. But James Robinson is a competent receiver. He proved that in 2020 with an 11.8% target share. Well, they could have thrown to him if they wanted to. And uh, Lawrence only targeted the running backs at a 16% rate last season. That was one of the lowest rates in the league. Of course, we want our quarterbacks targeting receivers and tight ends more than running backs. But for fantasy, we want our running backs getting targets. And yes, of course, talent dictates that. We've seen it in the past where it's like, oh, quarterback X never throws to the tight end. Then they get an elite tight end. All of a sudden, they throw, they throw to the tight end because talent dictates exactly. where the targets go. So if Etienne is as talented as we may think he is, yes, he could command more of the targets. But ultimately, throwing to the running back is usually not the intent of any sort of game plan. That's typically something you audible to or, or check to, or it's, it's more situational. So with Lawrence only throwing to the running back 16% of the time, it's just, it, it, we, do, we, are, we have to wonder if Etienne has that passing down role, how much volume he will get, and will that be able to offset a possible loss in carries that you pointed out may, may come from a team trailing a lot? Yes. Very good. Cool. The last guy. Uh, what if I told you, Katz, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on the name, although Katz, you know who the name is, but those listening, <laughs> what if I told you there was a guy who, to start his career, uh, two seasons in, he's rushed 300 times for 1,320 yards, eight touchdowns, and he's caught 55 balls for 426 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, injuries have kept him out for a grand total of 10 games the last two seasons. But when he's been on the field, um, he has been rock solid. It sounds pretty good. And then when you hear the name Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, some people wince. And they say, well, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's that good. Or, oh, he really burned me two years ago when I drafted him uh, at number five because everyone kept saying he was the fifth best running back, which was bunk. And most people should have known it was bunk at the time. The hype train on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was, oh, the Chiefs finally have a great young running back in the best offense in the league. What could go wrong? Um, and the issue is not every running back thrives as a rookie. And uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, through no fault of his own, has not been able to stay healthy. But the challenge for CEH is that even when he has been healthy, he has not been utilized as an every down back. The fact that a journeyman uh, running back like Daryl Williams uh, can poach as many touchdowns near the goal line as he did, uh, and the fact that someone like Jarek McKinnon can come in, even though I love Jarek McKinnon, I've always had a soft spot for him, uh, can thrive in ways that where where CEH looks sluggish um, raises concerns about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a long-term uh, bell cow, not even to mention a one A back. And now the you know we talked about this last week, cats. So we had different views on it, uh, and I don't want to rehash it too much. But the Chiefs did bring in Ronald Jones to recap for those of you uh, who uh, were uh, uh, not able to listen at that time. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, Katz felt, and Katz, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire should be able to hold off Ronald Jones. And I felt like Ronald Jones signing was bad news 
for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, that Ronald Jones uh, had a very good shot of overtaking Edwards Hilaire, or at the very least going 50 50. Um, my my so, position was it, it was it was good news in the sense that Ronald Jones is probably one of the weakest running backs the Chiefs could have signed to compete with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but it's bad news in the sense that I believe any running back that they were going to sign could conceivably take touches and work away from Clyde Edwards Hilaire because I don't think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is that good. So do you see Edwards Hilaire as more of a commodity fantasy back that if he's starting, you throw him out there as a top 25 running back, but it's because he's starting, not because he's a playmaker. I I love to sing my own praises and talk about my great calls and everything, but time to humble myself a little bit. I'm that guy you were talking about in 2020 that was like, <laughs> oh man, she's starting running back. I remember Kareem Hunt in 2017. I'm taking this guy. I drafted him like seventh overall, um, either one pick before or after Derrick Henry. It was really bad. It was really bad. I fell into the trap because the reality is talent does matter. And I, I know that we talk about replacement level running backs and running back being a replaceable position. And, and yes, it is. We've seen Dalvin Cook go down and Alexander Madison step right in. But if, if Alexander Madison went down and the replacement – was just some random third string running back that maybe shouldn't be on an NFL roster, you wouldn't see that level of production. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, not as good as Kareem Hunt. And the problem for CEH is he's now had two years to stake his claim to this Chiefs backfield and he hasn't done it. And the reality is he's been outperformed by at least two different running backs. That's right. Last season, CEH did not post a single week of 20-plus fantasy points. His best weekly finish was RB10. Darrell Williams, meanwhile, had three games over 20 fantasy points. That's unathletic, slow, UDFA Darrell Williams, who's outperforming CEH on the same team in the same circumstances. Even Jarek McKinnon was able to excel in a feature role. It was in the playoffs, but still, he scored 26.2 fantasy points in that game, playing over 70% of the snaps. In uh, in the 10 games that Darrell Williams played without CEH active, he has averaged more fantasy points per game than CEH has averaged in either of his two seasons. Ronald Jones may not be the greatest running back, but he's a, he's a capable runner. If he comes in, he runs well, and he takes even 40 to 50% of CEH's rushing. Well, now CEH is relegated to, are we going to call him a third down back? Because that's certainly not what we saw last season guy who, right. who had 23 targets in 10 games. That is not a guy who I would look at and say, oh, this is the passing down back. Now, could he be? Sure. Andy Reid has a, has a long history with the Chiefs of using someone on third downs who just isn't the starter. Their third down back is just not the starter. Any other guy, I don't care who it is. Initially in 20, it was 2017, Spencer Ware was the starter, Kareem Hunt the third down back. Well, then Kareem Hunt got hurt. And the third down back was Sharkandrick West. That's right. And then, um, and then uh, last year, he had CEH as the presumed starter, and Darrell Williams was the third down back. In years past, Spencer Ware was the third down back to a different starter. So he, he's used all these guys who were both two down grinders and also the third down back based on whoever the starter is at the time. So he'll, he's, yeah. he just wants a different guy in on third downs. If that's not CEH either, what exactly do we have here in fantasy? Yeah. There, there's a realistic chance that that CEH is the new Mike Davis for this year. 
That's not to say uh, that uh, Edward Solaire is less talented. Um, I think at his best, Edward Solaire is better than Mike Davis. Um, the challenge is that uh, we could see uh, an Edward Solaire uh, doing very little in the passing game, running for about four yards a carry, um, where volume is everything. And if he's not getting the volume, why are you drafting him in what will probably be the, I hate to say it, but it's probably going to happen unless there's a, sh- a depth chart shift uh, that occurs in August when people, a lot of people are drafting. If Ronald Jones is suddenly atop the depth chart, um, you're going to see, you know, at worst case, Clyde edwards Hilaire's, uh average draft position probably fall to about 25 to 30, somewhere around where Mike Davis was last year. And then it's just about touchdowns. Uh, if he's not getting 200 touches, uh, he needs touchdowns because he's, like you said, he's not going to be getting enough receptions um, to elevate the floor enough to justify a maybe fifth, sixth round draft pick. Um, when you're sitting there every week going, do I really need to start this guy? Because you have to assume by week four, week five, you're going to find someone better off waivers. There's going to be some injuries to running backs. There's going to be a better guy to pick up. There's going to be the next quarter L Patterson or whoever. And you're going to wonder, why did I draft Edward Solaire in the fifth or sixth round when I knew I was getting a so-so back with a somewhat capped ceiling, unless Ronald Jones just falls apart. Um, And cats, I just went back to what I wrote on my old blog uh, because I wanted to see, I wanted to verify it. It was uh, September 4th, 2020. People can go on the, on the uh, PFN Facebook page. It's called fantasy football for winners, but it's, it's, uh, it's PFN's Facebook page now. And, uh, uh, I, I said on that day that I did not understand he was now, his ADP was uh, uh, in the top four. He had, he had just jumped into the top four. And my basic point was, why do you draft a rookie running back in the top four um, when there's a lot of guys who are going to give you reliable points? You know, you're drafting a rookie because you imagine that what they showed in college will instantly translate at the pro level. And we have seen there's very few running backs whose talent instantly translates. I mean, Saquon Barkley is an exception. Uh, Zeke Elliott is an exception. There's a lot more guys who need a season, sometimes two, to get acclimated to becoming, you know, a, an elite fantasy running back. So whenever I see a rookie running back listed as elite and I, you know, or nearly top six, I always, I always hesitate with that. And I just think, you know what, I think people are caught up in the hype more than they are in taking the points, let someone else take a chance on the rookie, take someone with more, you know, proven value, and then go on to round two, knowing you've got someone locked in who, as long as they stay healthy, you pretty much know a rough range of what they're going to get you. Um, any last words, Katz, on uh, Edward Solaire? Any pushback? Uh, I like what you said there about the first round picks, but I'm gonna, I want to expand upon that a little bit because there is this misconception in terms of when a running back can be expected to like smash as a rookie. And yes, first round picks, first round rookies should be viewed as more likely to be immediate impact fantasy players in their first season. But if we look back, Rob. Uh, over the past six or seven years, and we'll start with the Todd Gurley year in 2015. The impact rookie running backs that were effective in their first year in fantasy at a high level, we got Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, both drafted top 15. Ezekiel Elliott in 2016 drafted fourth overall. Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey in 2017 drafted fourth and eighth overall. Saquon Barkley in 2018 drafted second overall. There were two other first-round running backs in 2018. 
Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle, and neither of them made significant impacts back end of the first round. 2019, Josh Jacobs was 24th overall. He was good, but he wasn't like first round caliber uh, fantasy talent. He wasn't an elite RB1. He wasn't even an RB1. And then 2020, only running back going in the first round, Clyde Edwards Hilaire with the last pick of the first round, not super effective. 2021, Najee Harris, uh, not an elite RB1, but was still a mid to low RB1, 24th overall, kind of on that borderline. So what we can see from the historical data is we should not be overly confident in rookie running backs unless they go high in the first round. Of course, things could start to change now because I don't think we're going to see running backs go anywhere near where Barkley and Elliott and Fournette went because teams are getting uh, wiser to the replaceability of the position and the logic that you shouldn't really pay running backs, shouldn't pay up for running backs. So when it comes to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, yeah, we probably should have known better, uh, but that's what we can do about it now. What we need to do is take that information that we've learned from the, or at least from the mistake that I made with CEH as a rookie and apply it going forward so it doesn't happen again. Very good. And just to clarify, in case anyone misunderstood, Najee Harris went 24th overall in the draft. He was elite last year in fantasy. We know that. But in terms of a lot of these first-round guys, uh, to Katz's point, uh, are not instant impact players. It's more the exception than the rule. Um, and even someone like Javante Williams, who went early second round, you know, if, if, if Melvin Gordon had not been there, yeah, we could probably talk about Javante Williams hype. And the fact is, uh, who knows what he could have done as a rookie with a full season. Maybe he could have been one of those exceptions to the rules. But if you look back year by year, uh, when you encounter those can't miss, you know, elite running backs coming in, especially to a good offense, it usually doesn't work out in the optimal way people expect. And with rookies, a lot of times they're valued based on optimal performance because no one knows what they can do yet. They're not based on some kind of uh, more uh, sober kind of assessment of their, of their upside and downside, uh, which you know with veterans, you know what their upside and downside is. So they're marketed that way. You know, that's their market value. With, with rookies, it's much harder to pinpoint a market value if you haven't seen them on an NFL field. Um, Cats, thank you again, as always. This is BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow.